The purpose of this podcast is solely for patient education. It is not intended to evaluate, diagnose, treat, or cure disease. Views expressed are those of the podcasters and not their affiliate. Any medical questions or concerns should be addressed by the listener's physician or care provider. Listening to this podcast does not constitute a patient-physician relationship between the listener and the podcaster. We do hope the podcast can help enhance the listener's own medical experience. Welcome back to Everything Your Doc Wants You to Know, but doesn't have time to tell you. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform about health matters affecting adults. From latest research updates to tips on navigating the healthcare system and everything in between. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay, how are you? I'm good. We're back after a long hiatus. Yes, hopefully we'll be uh, getting back onto a more consistent schedule. But I think we have said that before, so I am not promising anything. Right. We'll just do our best. Well, I think we've got a fun topic today. This is kind of, to me, a new concept anyway. Um, and Lindsay, maybe one that you've known about for a while in the geriatric world. Right. Uh, it's a concept of life space and how that affects our um, aging. And so just in case people are not hearing us, we're talking about the space that you basically live in. So life space, um, also defined as the physical area in which someone conducts life activities. So there have been studies, um, oh, probably done over the last 20 years, that have asked people to record their life space, kind of in um, segments and trips outside of the bedroom. So in the home, in the neighborhood, outside of the neighborhood, in your city, and outside of your city or town. Yeah, and so life space is just a really interesting concept. And what, Lindsay, you want to talk a little bit about what the studies have shown in terms of people whose life space is small, like um, just within their bedroom or their bedroom and outside their bedroom, versus people who have a larger life space? Right. I think it somewhat seems logical, right, that someone who is limited their life space to their bedroom must have more um, chronic diseases and something that is keeping them there. So is it that they have really bad heart failure or COPD or bad um, chronic pain or arthritis? Um, so it kind of makes sense that uh, in studies they have found the people whose life space is smaller don't live as long or live as well as long. Right. And so it's not necessarily that a small life space causes increased health problems, but there are some downsides to a smaller life space. Right. And even when they compare like people, so people who have, you know, say really bad heart failure, and so it's very difficult for them to get out, if they compare a person whose life space is smaller with that condition or whose life space is larger. So they they do put in a huge effort to get out and about outside of their home. They do better mentally um, and live longer and have better quality of life. So we've seen that short, smaller or lower life space is associated with increased healthcare utilization. So again, if you're comparing two people with the same condition and the same severity of the condition, the one with a smaller life space is going to use healthcare more frequently. 
They're also, like you said, going to have higher morbidity, so more complex uh, or complications of their condition and higher mortality. Right. And so um, I think if we're trying to think about why these things may be, what what do you think maybe contributes to, to why? I mean, I don't think our studies have determined that, but I think that that knowing the things that we know, we've kind of have good ideas about why that may be. Exactly. So we've talked a little bit of in the past about um, the blue zones and what what those are areas that have been identified where people tend to live longer, healthier lives than other parts of the world. And groups of people in those areas have certain characteristics that are in common, um, such as a social support network, feeling of meaning and purpose, belonging, uh, movement, they have um, family, cl- kind of a tight-knit uh, tribe or family, um, and cognitive stimulation. So those are some of the things that we have seen that have been observed in groups of people that live in the blue zones. And I think that the larger life space probably provides more of those things for people. Right. And and ironically enough, many of the blue zones the way that those people live, they probably don't have that large of a life space compared to a, a normal city um, dweller in the United States. Absolutely. So in the Blue Zones, a lot of those cultures are people who are using walking or bicycling for transportation. So their, their distance traveled in an average day is probably significantly lower than what we would travel driving around town just for our routine daily activities. But the things that they get within their community are things that here in the United States we're going to get by having a larger life space. Right. So I think if we think about when you're kind of in the the prime of your life, raising your kids or in in the middle of your career, um, what kinds of things are you doing all day that that stimulate your mind that that are the that positive um, influence on on your mental stimulation and your well-being. Right. So as a mom, I think, you know, getting up early in the morning, trying to get not only myself ready, but my family moving and out the door. Um, You know, at work, I'm interacting with my patients, with my staff and colleagues. We're being serious and working, but also having fun together. Um, after, After work, I'm maybe driving kids to activities, talking with other parents, um, talking with my kids. So I think there's a lot of um, different things that happen during the during a day at this point in life. Right. I agree. I I've um, been picking my kids up from school and I feel like I'm just a taxi driver after that, going from one activity to the to the next. And so, um, you know, when I do that, even though I'm kind of an introvert, I'm still interacting with um, other kids that I'm carpooling with or the parents Um, at work. I'm certainly interacting with with patients and my nurses and colleagues. And so I'm interacting with a bunch of people all day long, even though I may not be the person who is a party planner and having a bunch of get togethers and I don't plan a bunch of, um, you know, dinners at my house or outings where I'm seeing seeing a bunch of people because I am a bit of an introvert. Um, but I still in a regular day see see quite a few people in my normal normal outings. I go to the grocery store and have to pick up things for the kids at different places and you're interacting and 
you know, using your mind when you're thinking about the groceries that you remembering the groceries you have to pick up and the other errands you have to do and how to keep things organized in your life. So there's a lot of skill and organization and thinking going on and interaction with people, even though it may not be um, the most social person out there, right? Absolutely. And even things like driving where you may not be interacting with other people, but you're navigating, your brain is kind of figuring out where you're going. Uh, driving itself is very complex and is cognitively stimulating. So um, even just that act is going to give some benefit, probably. I think there's big changes that happen certain times in our life. I think one big one is when we become in- empty nesters. Um, and so certainly that changes a lot of what you're doing and their activities and um, and then another big life change occurs if you worked outside the home when you retire and so then I think you can think about how your life space changes with those life changes and I think it it often becomes much smaller just because you aren't doing those um, normal everyday things. Absolutely and I would say you know for people who are currently mid-career also just the pandemic has changed things. A lot of people have been working from home um, and that has impacted life space as well. Right. And and how many of us have started doing online grocery shopping? Oh my goodness. Yeah. What would we do without it now, right? <laughs> exactly. So, so lots of the things that, you know, even if you're an empty nester and retired that you did to get out of the house and to, to see other people and use your brain and interact, um, you know, certainly COVID has has changed that considerably. Exactly, yep. So let's dig into different activities that we do on an average day. And this, you know, could happen whether you're working or not, but just some things that are activities that many of us have in common and how um, those activities provide benefit to us. So Lindsay, what's the benefit for just going out and shopping? We don't usually think of shopping as something that's like, oh, this is this is healthy for me. This is going to prolong my life. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think, you know, it it is doing a lot of stimulation and, and a lot of things that are important, right? You, you have to take the time to get ready to go out. You are, you know, whether you're getting in the car and navigating or planning how to get somewhere if you can't drive anymore, that takes a lot of thinking and planning. Um, You're using your body, you're walking through the store. So you're, in a sense, that's, you know, movement, maybe not exercise or specific for exercise, but it's movement, which is so important. Um, And so you're, you're getting, going through the grocery you're thinking about your list, you're organizing your list based on, you know, maybe how the grocery store is set up. A lot of people do that or, you know, depending on on where you're at, you're you're thinking about, you know, how you're going to navigate the grocery store and how it makes sense um, to get your things done so you're not going back and forth and all over the place. So there's a lot of planning and thinking and movement involved. Um, plus, then you are interacting with people there, right? That you you may meet somebody that you know, and so you have a conversation, or you're talking with the person in the checkout aisle, or you have to ask a question of where something might be. So those are other ways that you're interacting and, and getting um, using your brain in different ways. Yeah, so each of those activities is potentially, or each of those components of what you're doing is potentially beneficial. Um, Similarly, if you're eating out at a restaurant with a group of friends or family, 
Um, there's cognitive stimulation. You're planning what you're going to order. There's social interaction. There's some movement getting ready and getting to where you're going. Um, and just that sense of belonging and tribe, too. Even if it's just with you and one other person, there's a sense of belonging and meaning with that. Right. So I think that's that's really important and things we've um, potentially missed out on a lot in the last year and a half. And, and for good reason, too. But um, I think we have to talk about risk benefit and how we can be safe moving forward. What's another activity? Exactly. How we can safely balance activity and life space with, um, you know, mitigating spread of COVID as well. I think a church outing is another thing that people might do on their regular, regular work week too, which I think is huge, right? Because not only the spiritual or religious aspect, the sense of belonging, um, you know, you're using your brain, you're, you're maybe singing and that's cognitive and a different creative side of your brain, your, um, interacting and there's so there's a lot of meaning and ritual and all of those things that go into to your weekly church service if that's what you're doing. Absolutely and that's been a change too recently where I think many more churches are offering online services and um, if you've done done that or done both been in person and online another time you probably realize it's it's nice to have the online option, but it's certainly not the same as being in, in person because of those things that really um, are missing, like the social interaction, the movement, that sense of belonging. Right. Yeah. Other activities would be, um, well, going to a gym, for example. Um, exercising at home is also great, but going to a gym provides that added benefit of, again, preparing to go, the social interaction with others there. Uh, cognitive stimulation, planning what you're going to do, the physical stimulation as well. Um, probably a sense of purpose too right. when, when it's exercising. So I think we don't consciously think about all the things that go into our normal routines. Even if our life space is limited to the grocery store and church, right? Those things were very important. And I think especially for somebody who is has some chronic diseases, is um, what I would call pre-frail as a medical term. So, you know, somebody who's kind of just hanging on independent with their multiple chronic diseases and, and you know, they may have heart failure, COPD, and some arthritis, and just doing those weekly normal tasks um, is keeping them strong enough and motivating them enough and mentally stimulating enough that, you know, they're they're staying at a mild cognitive impairment or they're staying able to be independent. But if you take one or more of those regular weekly activities out, then I think you really are missing a lot. And I think we're seeing that with COVID and this time of of um, limiting our life space that we're really seeing a lot of people now declining, coming in with falls, no longer being able to care for themselves independently at home and needing to get more supports and more help. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the pandemic has really changed that. There are other things that can change that, such as uh, changes in mobility. So bad arthritis of the knees, for example, can make it very challenging to get out. Or um, someone who's maybe no longer safe to drive can impact the life space. 
and then also multiple chronic medical conditions like we talked about before. And so what can we do, what can these people do or their family or friends to help in, if, if somebody does have limited life space to help get the things that we normally benefit from when we have a larger life space? I, I think that's hard. I think, you know, one of the most important things is supporting them in getting out to these activities. So if it's that they can't drive, then can you be their driver and help support, you know, family and friends help support get them there or or help them utilize um, the senior ride or different other options for rides. Um, if it's that, you know, they're knees are bad and their arthritis is bad and it's really difficult for them to get out can you help them with the walker so you're you as a family friend are supporting them um, to still get out and do those things out and about in the community absolutely yeah and i think um, another thing that can be beneficial for many which people are sometimes hesitant to think about would be joining a senior living community or even just attending the senior center on a weekly or multiple times a week basis um, and even looking at assisted living communities because then you do regain that community and some of the benefits of um, that larger life space but they all occur in a smaller life space setting. Right and I, I think that's key. I think so many people don't want to leave their homes for lots of valid, I get it, reasons, right? Um, that's where you feel comfortable, that's where you raised your family, that's where, I mean, it's your home. Um, but if you can't get the supports to get um, those meaning and movement and purpose and, you know, religious activities and all those things that make your life space bigger brought to you in your home, I mean, that takes a lot of resources, then it's so much easier to go to these places where that's just there. Yeah, you have the built-in tribe, you have built-in activities, built-in exercise, all of those things that um, are really beneficial. And I even have had a patient who, um, you know, his his wife said, I don't want to leave my home, I don't want to leave my home. And so they stayed in their home years, st kind of struggling and isolated. And then when his spouse died, he chose to move into an assisted living. And he said, I do not know why we didn't do this years ago, because he's like, I have so much more quality, um, because I'm having fun, I'm social, I get to do things. And, and I hear that kind of story all the time. Yeah, I think it's really hard to envision what that transition is and what that life looks like when when you have been content and independent for a long time. And moving to assisted living doesn't mean not being independent. It just means you have that built-in community and so many benefits that go along with it. Right. And there's so many senior just living areas that aren't don't mean you're getting right any assistance. They're just the, the senior communities. Absolutely. With activities and walking trails and things like that. Right. So I think there is definitely benefit to that where you can have a smaller life space but still get the things that you need to make it like you have a large life space. What about friends, Lindsay? One thing that you and I have talked about is that, you know, you, friends are much more easy to find. It's easier to make new friends. Not easy necessarily, but when one has kids or when one is working out of the home, um, you kind of find people that you have things in common with. As we get older, that gets a lot more difficult, partly because 
our friends don't necessarily survive in some cases. Um, and the very old sometimes have difficulty finding peers. Right. I think this is, a, I mean, it's a real issue. Um, I know that I, my, I've talked with my grandmother about this, who's 107 and, um, you know, all of her friends have died, frankly. Um, and so she has friends, but she's had to put in lots of effort to continue to to make friends um, in this time of her life. And, and it's got to be hard. Um, but she did it through those groups that she maintained, um, those social groups that she maintained where, um, you know, the people got younger. Uh, and and somehow she's able to, to do that. And I just imagine that's got to be very hard. Um, so I don't know how, especially um, people who maybe aren't outgoing and, and kind of loud um, and just boisterous, you know, um, those of us who are more reserved and quiet and, and find it more difficult to find friends, I think it, it really becomes difficult. Yeah, I think that's where it's really important to you know, recognize that your friends are probably going to, in that situation where, you know, like your grandma, who's really had an impressive lifespan, people, your friends are going to have to be younger than you. And then, like you said, maintaining groups and activities, things that you feel like you can do consistently, because it's a great way to connect with people and have those friends. I really think you have to to put yourself out there and, and work at it. So yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. So many of these things are easier in midlife when one is busy and involved in lots of different things and as life changes it gets it gets more challenging for sure and i think we've kind of touched a little bit but the the risk of having a very small life space is the isolation and loneliness and we know from lots of studies that isolation and loneliness are are very detrimental to your health to your quality of life and so how do we avoid that in those situations? Was I think some of the things we've talked about certainly um, are important to avoid that isolation and loneliness. Right, and of course, isolation and loneliness can lead to mood issues, so depression and anxiety can lead to weakness, like you mentioned, um, worsening chronic disease. It can certainly cause cognitive decline and poor quality of life. So. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to have a huge life space, especially if you're physically limited or have some other reason, but then thinking about where you can get the things that you would obtain from having a large life space um, is very important. I I think, you know, we just thought it was kind of very timely to, to discuss this as um, we maybe gotten in new isolated routines and hopefully, you know, that we're all getting vaccinated and our communities are opening up and we can start to feel comfortable um, in, a, in a safe, calculated way, getting back out there and putting ourselves back out there um, to get back to church, to get back to those things that bring meaning and purpose to us. Exactly. So just to kind of summarize, we know that larger life space improves outcomes and that's when we compare people with similar conditions, the outcomes are better with a larger life space. And for those who do or do not have a large life, life space, there are things we can do. Engaging in activities, finding your tribe of people, um, stimulating your brain that can help bring those benefits to you as well. So we encourage you um, to get thinking about how you can, can bring those things into your life. <laughs> 
And if you feel like you're currently at a point in life where you have a large life space, how can you help those around you who maybe don't? Right. I think that's great. Yeah. Ask ask your neighbor who may need may need a new friend exactly um, to go to an activity. We can all use invitations. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Yeah, so if you have any questions or additional thoughts about this, you can sure email us. Uh, we are at mail at everythingdoc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening again, and we will be trying to, to get more regular um, podcasts out to you. That's right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.